Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, your body, and your movement. Uh, it's presently kind of late for me. It's 9.45. I'm about to go to bed and I'm recording this late because I'm headed to Yosemite at about 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. I'm going to be out there for a week so I'm trying to get this uh, podcast stuff sorted out for y'all. So I'll give you a little forewarning. This will be a more sleepy version of my introductions. Uh, but the conversation, the episode, was one of my my favorite episodes, honestly. I really dig Dr. Perry Nicholson, the guest of today. Uh, he is a chiropractic doctor. Uh, he's a absolute wizard in the world of, um, I would say, functional medicine, functional movement, um, the, the workings of the lymphatic system is a big thing. Uh, he has a very fascinating history in relation to his own health and navigating that and has been working with patients and clients and human beings for, I think he's been doing it for 25 years or so. Um, he's absolutely hands down one of the best humans you could talk to about the workings of the body and we go deep into there. So uh, we talk about mental health and we talk about lymphatic health. We talk about the correlation of the whole mind-body relationship, which I'm sure you've heard me say that about a trillion times now. So I may as well just stop saying that you guys get it, that I'm enamored by that connection. So we get into all that stuff. Thank you guys so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. Uh, thanks for sharing this with your friends. Thanks for grabbing the Align Method book. And uh, the Align Method online program is a beautiful resource. If you have interest in getting your body out of pain, uh, feeling comfortable, feeling at home, feeling spacious in your body is something that the environmental mold, the, the shape of our chairs and our shoes and our, our clothing at times, um, it forms our bodies into positions that uh, are a little bit cramped. And we get into that, into this, this conversation today with Dr. Dr. Perry. Uh, so the Alignment Method Online program is a step-by-step how-to guide on how to get yourself out of pain. Uh, if you have some type of impingement in your ankles or your hips or you feel stiffness in your back, your neck, your shoulders, all that stuff is interconnected and we break down step-by-step -step approach on how you can start to learn exactly how you can tend to those issues yourself. Uh, movement is a very powerful tool. Uh, we were never educated that growing up and we break that down in the Align Method on that program, which you can find at alignpodcast.com. Uh, you can also start the free masterclass to start getting into some of the fundamentals of how to open up those hips of yours. Uh, the link can be found in my bio at Align Podcast on Instagram. All right. Thank you guys so much. I hope you devour this conversation. I am going to bed now. Bye now. How have you been? How's life in New Jersey? Yeah, it's Jersey life. What can I tell you? You know, <laughs> doing the best we can like, like everybody else in the world, right? What's how is the the whole reaction to Corona and everything out there? Is everything shut down, or what's what are people doing out there? I, I'm in my own little LA bubble here. Uh, well, it was for a while. I mean, we got hit pretty hard up here. It's like an epicenter of New York, New Jersey, and then they they locked us down pretty good for quite a few months. And I had to close my office, of course. And my office is located inside of a gym as well. So this office is surrounded by and inside of a gym. And they were locked down, gyms were locked down longer than medical offices. So I still had to wait 
until the gym opened up, which was just here allowed in New Jersey, September 1st, I think it was. And uh, so we're going to hold on our own now. We're, co- we're starting to come around. Yeah. I, I just listened to your solo podcast around um, the lymphatic system and the body being an aquarium. Oh, yeah. Kind of into the lymphatics a little bit, just a bit. I think that's I think, I think that's great, um, and I wonder what's one why that matters in the first place. What is the lymphatic system? Uh, what happens when it does begin to not be able to circulate properly, and could be stagnating inside of a, a home for extended periods have some type of impact on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, do you want me to get into that a little bit? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the lymphatic system, in my opinion, is probably the most important and neglected system in the human body that nobody's currently looking at. And it's my life mission to change that. And uh, I've been in healthcare for 26 years, and I've been on this planet for 53. And for 50 years, I had no idea about that system, <laughs> even being in the healthcare system. And I uh, only discovered it much later through my own pain and suffering, honestly. And basically, it's like other systems in your body. People know of your nervous system, your cardiovascular system, your digestive system, right? But the lymphatic system, most people don't hear of unless they hear the C word first, which means cancer because they hear that it can travel through the lymphatics and it certainly can, but the lymphatics are also designed to kill cancer cells. They're always killing cancer cells all the time. So it's basically this, it's part of your immune system, but it's also part of your cardiovascular system because it hooks directly into the cardiovascular system. And that's huge for people to understand in relationship to cardiac disorders, but also blood flow issues and sports and performance because it's, it's a barrier break that they don't even know that they should be looking at. But most of us know it as part of the immune system. And just that in and of itself, your immune system is designed to do one thing, kill stuff. That's its job. And if the lymphatic system doesn't work that well, then your immune system can become compromised, which makes you more prone to any type of issues from the immune system, from sickness, illness, autoimmune issues, but also chronic pain and inflammation, because many times when people have chronic pain, it's not a musculoskeletal issue anymore. It's an immune system issue. It's an inflammatory issue. And then that system is designed to remove toxins from the body, such as uh, bacteria, parasites, fungus, viruses, you know, you got to be careful with that word because as soon as I say virus, now everybody thinks COVID, but you've got got trillions of viruses in the world and you need viruses. Otherwise, if you didn't have viruses, you you wouldn't be alive anyway, but it kills viruses and it gets rid of metabolic waste, which is the waste that your cells actually give off when you train, when you, when you live, when you breathe, you're always having new cells die all the time like trillions of cells. I mean, every day you have lots of cells dying and that's considered metabolic toxic waste. And you have to get that stuff out. If you don't get it out, it stays inside of you and it's not supposed to stay inside of you. And when it stays inside of you, it can make you prone to inflammation. And when you get inflammation, then you can have a lot of issues in your body of any different type from pain to autoimmune to whatever. If you can 
help that lymphatic system function at its optimum, the way it's designed to, then you can feel better, faster, a lot more energy than you've ever had before. It's just people realizing that they need to take care of it, that they need to do something for it. Just like heart health, right? I mean, once you know about it and somebody shows you things that you can do to help it, most people say, well, hell, I should probably do something with this system. And here's the beautiful thing. Once you start to do it, you people always go, this is the craziest thing in the world, doc. I can't believe how much better I feel and so much faster of how I felt, almost like instantaneous. And then they really become excited to have a lot more energy. And then they say to me also is, why the hell didn't somebody tell me this information a long time ago? Yeah. And then my response is, that's a damn good question. Like, they should have. And that's pretty much why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I'm on a mission to help everyone understand what the lymphatic system is, but also once you understand what it is, how you can easily take care of it. Yeah. Do you have a sensation of what the longest lever would be in working with all of these interconnected systems you know so like the lymphatic system we break things down in the textbooks and we have the systems and you know in our minds with the way that we learn them it would be easy to believe that they're almost on separate islands and you're now we're lymphatic now we're cardiovascular now we're the nervous now we're the immune and you're like okay which one do i work with but the reality is it's just one body and when something starts to become perhaps congested in any one of those systems, then the global body may start to feel a little bit more malaise or, 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 or sick, and that could turn into collapse, which ends up becoming more compressive and congestive. And now we're in this cycle, and it's like, okay, well, I went to see this personal trainer. They got me doing Zumba. All of a sudden, I opened things up. I got some momentum. Or I went to this person. They did lymphatic massage. That kind of It's like, where does one start or does it even matter, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, everything is interconnected, right? And I have a saying that goes like this. No system in your body ever works alone. It never gets injured alone, and it never heals alone. So when you tell me you're just treating one system, I'm like, well, you're wrong. You're not, right? And plus, your body doesn't even know what the hell a system is. Right. All it knows is <laughs> uh, it, your, body, your body doesn't even know what a lymphatic system is. We as human beings named it lymphatic system. This has been doing its thing for a couple of million years. Uh, and it really doesn't care whether you what you call it. So anytime you work on one system, you always influence another system. And here's a dirty little secret. Everything works for someone. Like I'd rather you start to do something because most things make people feel a little bit better. It's just the very act of doing it. That being said, I will tell you that in my experience, in my opinion, I always start with the lymphatic system first with everything just to make sure that it's functioning well, because not everybody will have a big lymphatic system issue. Most people will have some type of issue with it because they've never done anything intentionally to try to improve its function. <laughs> because the lymphatic system, two things really help move that system, which is mostly fluid. So kind of, let me give you kind of a context. Is that most of, I think most people know that your body is mostly fluid, not solid. You got a lot of water inside of you, right? depending on the resources that you read, 60 to 70% water in certain body areas or more, like your brain is 90% water. And so the, uh, the fluid in the body is basically surrounding your, so why are you so much liquid? Because your cells have to live in liquid. That's the environment of healing. That's the environment of biology in a liquid environment. First of all, we came from water, right? 
depending on what you look at for evolution, which is the ocean. And so the cells of your body have to live in a water environment. You've got about five liters of blood in your body, and you've got 15 liters of lymphatic fluid. So just think about that for a moment. But if I've had 15 liters of something, it's probably a little important in relationship to what it has to do for my body's performance. And my program is called a body aquarium lymphatic mojo. So I use the analogy of a body aquarium because it helps people grasp what the system is. So I want you to think of your body as an aquarium. You have the tank, which is your outside shell, your skin. Inside is everything you would find in, in an aquarium, right? Your rock, your fish, your fish could be your cells, for instance, your coral, your cool castle, all that sort of stuff. And that's like your body. You've got all these different structures in your body, and these things are surrounded by a water environment, just like in a tank. If you have a filtration system that can keep that tank purified and moving, so it's always moving the water, right? So it's not stagnant, hence why movement is one of the key factors that moves length, is moving. And if the filter system works great and you take care of the fish, which means you feed the fish, you give it nutrients, right? And then once the fish get the nutrients, i.e. your cells, they use the nutrients and then fish poop, right? And then your cells poop too. It's called metabolic waste. And that stuff goes in the tank, right? And then the filtration system, its job is to get rid of that stuff and keep what in the water? Oxygenation. Oxygen. If that fluid system, the tank has the filter system that something goes wrong with it. Let's say that it doesn't work as well as it should. Slowly over time, you start to see the fish tank change, right? You start to see it turn green or funky stuff starts growing on the side of the tank or your fish just don't look healthy or there's things growing on the skin of the fish because the water is becoming toxic. It's got less oxygen. It's got more bacteria inside of there. It's stagnant, like stagnant water. If that filtration system stopped working altogether, everything in the fish tank that's living is going to die eventually, right? And then you get this yucky film over everything. That's what can happen to the human body slowly over time. First of all, if your lymphatic system stops working altogether, you're dead in two days. Done. You're done for. So it's important that you take care of that. But most people, they go, it, it's sluggish, it's stagnant, it works, but not as efficiently as it could. And then slowly over time, you get like the fish tank, you get tired, you get fatigue, you get lethargic, you get headaches, you get all these sorts of aches and pains, you get all these different diagnosis names that they throw at you with all these different names, but they're all the result of underlying inflammation in the body. So one thing that we need to do is I tell people, say, if you want to clean that fish tank, you could take all the water out, I could clean it, and I could put brand new water in, I could put brand new fish in, I could spend all this money, and it looks awesome. And then you haven't done anything to the filter system at all. What's going to come back in a couple of weeks or days? Same thing. It keeps coming back, keeps coming back, because you're not changing the underlying environment that's there. It's the same thing that happens with the human body. So we're doing all these therapies that work for someone. But I was always interested in why does it only work for a short period of time or why does stuff keep coming back? Then I thought about environment and I came across this key phrase that said, you cannot get well in the same environment you became ill within. You cannot get well in the same environment you became ill within. And then I thought to myself, what's the big controller 
There's a lot of controllers in the, the body, but what's a big one? What's the one that controls the damn tank? You should do that one first. And then if I can get that functioning, I stand a much better chance of all the other systems working better. All right. Yeah. So when I talk about the systems is the lymphatic system, I go after that first because I know if I, if I said, hey, I've done my checklist and I know the lymph works good, now I can move on to the other systems because I don't have to worry about this guy being a problem. Because what I found in my own experience from having an autoimmune disease and people having issues that keep coming back is that if you neglect the lymph and you don't check the lymph and you do the other systems first, you don't get the same results. So for me, it's about the order in which you do things that matter. And I came across a key phrase in osteopathic medicine once that stuck with me because osteopathic medicine was one of the first disciplines that began to talk about the lymphatic system from its founder, Andrew Taylor Still, who early on, early part of the century, started to talk about lymph. And they said this phrase, drainage precedes supply. Drainage precedes supply. And I thought about that for a second and what that meant. And with further investigation, that made sense to me. It means this. We want to supply our body with nutrients, what we eat and also the nutrients of oxygen, right? And we need to get rid of, we need to drain toxins. What kind of toxins? Well, CO2 is a big one, right? Breathing carbon dioxide, but also your metabolic waste, anything in your body. Hence why you go pee and why you go poo. Got to get stuff out, right? It's why you sweat. Most of your body's organ systems are designed to detox and get rid of stuff that's not supposed to stay in there. So I thought like this, if you're sick and you can't get well, then maybe you're struggling to make new cells that work. One of my mentors said this phrase is that chronic disease occurs when you lose the ability to make new cells that work. I'm going to say that one more time. Chronic disease occurs when you lose the ability to make new cells that work. Because if you can make new cells that work, you wouldn't stay sick. I'm not saying you don't get sick. You're supposed to get sick and you're supposed to get better. That's what your immune system is, right? You need to be exposed to bad stuff so you can become stronger and more resilient, right? So then it begs the question, what do you need to make a new cell that works? That's the next logical question, right? Well, you need nutrients, right? So nutrients got to go in and then you need to get rid of waste. So once I knew that, then it all made sense because here's what I found. Everybody's always worried about the nutrient part. Got to get your breathing to get oxygen in your body. Got to give you good food to get nutrients in your body. I got to get you hydrated so I can get water in your body. And then I thought to myself, well, what if you have a crappy tank? That means nutrients can go in, but that doesn't mean the nutrients are able to get into the cell just because they're going into your body. And I need people to really listen to that. Just because you're breathing and you're getting oxygen in your body doesn't mean it's going into the cells once it's in your body. It's the same thing with food. If I eat a healthy food, it's not that it's going in. Can it be absorbed? If it can't get absorbed, it's called malabsorption syndrome. And then it just goes right out. What's one of the reasons it can't get absorbed? You got a crappy fish tank. You got the water that's surrounding all these cells is the environment that determines what crosses into that environment and what crosses into the cell and what goes out of the cell and can get out of your body. If that water environment is toxic, you can't get the nutrients into the cell, all the waste goes out of the cell, 
but it can't get out of your body. So all the waste surrounds the cell and your cells are living in toxicity all the time. So of course, they're not going to get better, even though I'm doing really good things to try to get them better. That was the answer I was looking for. So what they mean by drainage precede supply is this. Work your lymphatic system first, always. Then you do everything else because I want to ensure that I can get out and drain toxins, then nutrients go in. We've been doing it the other way around. We force feed nutrients in without having an environment where it can get in. So all I did was I just flipped that order. And when I flipped that order, I started to notice huge changes, most of all in myself, because I was suffering from a really bad autoimmune disease and I had to close my office. I had to stop seeing patients because I had infections all the time. I was tired. I was fatigued. My brain was going because I had so much inflammation. I was damn near death. I couldn't function. And the traditional approaches that were supposed to help me did not and actually made me worse. So once I came across the lymphatics and I started to work the lymphatic systems, within a short period of time, just a couple of days, I started to feel a little bit better. And within one month of going on a program, I was significantly improved. And the best bonus point is I lost 30 pounds of swelling and inflammation and body fat at the same time as a nice, sweet bonus. And then from that point on, I've been like a complete, like a maniac with the lymphatics trying to learn everything I can about it, but also teach people how that system relates to all of the other systems. So I know I've been talking for a while because I get really excited, but if somebody comes in to see me, I kind of joke around when I teach, but I'm not really joking. So people say, how do you know you have a lymphatic system problem? Well, one, you're alive on this planet and you're breathing. That's how I know you got a problem. I just need to determine how deep it goes. And if you actually physically have to come into my office and ask me for help, I know it's a problem because otherwise you wouldn't be standing in front of me asking me for help. I don't know how much of an issue it is, but I know it's going to be a part of the puzzle. So I'll always assess that system first, always treat that system first, and then I go down to the other ones after that. Because if I check it and the system is functioning well, that's perfect. But I can also help it function a little bit better. I can optimize it. And then if it's really stagnant or there's really a lot of obstruction in the system, and it is for most people because they haven't done anything intentionally to take care of it. So here's the cool thing. Two things move this body fluid inside of you more than anything else. Human movement. So the more you move of yourself, more often, more ways, more environments, you're going to move limp. And breathing from your diaphragm moves lymph a lot, not from your lungs, but from your diaphragm, ideally, because it changes pressure in your body and pressure moves fluid. And this is where people say to me, Doc, I do that all damn day. Like, I move a lot. I teach all these breathing techniques. But meanwhile, I'll assess their lymphatic system, and it's really sensitive, and it's really obstructed, and they have a problem. And they go, why is that? And it's a very simple answer, because... It's been overloaded, clean the filters first, so we do the lymphatic resets, then you move, then you breathe. If you do it that way, then you notice a huge change in everything that you do. How would a person be able to self-diagnose if they have some type of lymphatic issue? 
A big one you can assess, we teach people how to uh, press on primary lymph node regions of the body. They're usually located in the areas where you're supposed to have the most movement in the body around primary joint, shoulders, hips, knees, abdomen, upper neck. And lymph nodes are areas where the lymphatics delivers the, the lymphatic fluid into these nodes. And these nodes are like giant filters. And each node kills more things one after the other. So by the time it reaches back to your circulatory system, hopefully you've killed everything that you need to kill as best you can. And you have about 700 of those nodes in your body and they develop in clusters. So you've got them in the shoulder joint, hip joint, behind the knee, in the abdomen, around your gut, and the top of your head, right behind the angle of your jaw, below your skull bone called your occiput right there. So we assess those reasons for tightness, for tenderness, or pain. But we also go by a lot of other things. We can go by symptoms a lot. A lot of swelling, a lot of inflammation, a lot of bloating, skin issues, many other things that we can begin to look at, even chronic pain. But most people, when you check these regions, they're very surprised at how much tenderness they have in these regions. Because here's what I've discovered is that somebody may have been touching these regions. So let's say arbitrarily, uh, I'm going to press in your pec minor, which is right where your pec attaches to your shoulder joint. And anybody who's in fitness knows that the pec minor is the cause of every problem in your shoulder, right? <laughs> so if they press in there, they're pressing in, they're saying, oh, well, you got a pec minor issue. Or maybe they're pressing in and they'll say, you've got an issue with the nerves in there, what's called your brachial plexus. And what I'm going to say is, you got a problem with your lymphatic system when you're pressing in there. Because I never even thought that I was pressing into lymph there. I just thought I was pressing into a joint or a muscle or fascia. But when you understand that when you have pain in your body, you have inflammation. When you have pain in your body, you have inflammation. And when you have inflammation, that means you have swelling. And the primary system that gets rid of inflammation and swelling in your body is the lymphatics. So for me, when somebody says, hey, doc, when you press into my shoulder and it hurts, what's the problem? Yes, that's the problem. Every system that's located in there is the problem. And as we know, it's all of them. What happens is now you just have to put that puzzle piece together and then understand when you're talking about lymphatics and even with nerves or even with blood flow, it's never just your shoulder, for instance. Like the shoulder is probably the least of the, the area that you want to be working on. Yeah. You have to check all the other nodes in the body. So one of the things, the strategies that I tell people and why we call my business Stop Chasing Pain, that means we treat pain, but we don't chase it. Chase it means all I'm doing is you show me where it hurts and I treat there and then it's over here and I treat there, it's over here and I treat there. First of all, if pain keeps bouncing around in your body, I already know you got a lot of inflammation in there and usually a lymphatic system issue and it's just settling wherever the hell it wants to. And most of the time, it'll settle into the most vulnerable areas of your body that you've got or prior injuries that you've had. So we know that you've got lymph node clusters in your left shoulder, but you've got a lot of other clusters as well. And here's what surprises people. 
is that I'm going to check all the other lymph node clusters as well. And they're going to say, Doc, why the hell are you touching behind my left knee? My, my shoulder hurts. Exactly. Right. And then usually what will happen is, say, for instance, if I touch behind their left knee, they'll jump off the table. And that lets me know that that's a big vulnerable area that's going to be a contributing factor to the painful shoulder, especially if they've been treating the shoulder for a long period of time and they're not really that much better. But the primary area where most people have the biggest congestion of lymph, the biggest restriction in blood flow, and the biggest irritation to the nervous system is in the abdominal region, halfway up between the navel and the bottom of your sternum. That's one of the most important areas for the entire human body for any pain whatsoever you have anywhere. <laughs> Always go there first. Always. I want to keep on going into that, but something just come to mind as you're, as you're talking. I think it's interesting in, I don't know, I guess you could say Western culture, maybe lots of places, but especially like Western workout culture, the tendency is to feel like you're getting more bang for your buck by veering more towards like high intensity type training. Uh, but oftentimes what I think can happen if that's your only way of, of, of moving yourself and then you're sedentary for the larger chunk of the day, uh, while you're going into that high intensity type on the edge of your self-training, you might still be holding bracing in your body and having these various different points that could be like damned, you know, stopping that, that, uh, you know, drainage proceeds supply. They're kind of that, those points of contraction and bracing, but because you're always on the, the edge, you never really give your body that kind of like yin opening more passive time to actually say, okay, well, let's get out of survival for a moment and not just lean on our strengths, but actually go in a little bit deeper and find where, where are these stoppages? Oh, well, if all I'm ever doing is like PR snatches or, or sprints, I never really had that spaciousness in my, my life practice as a movement practice, but just my life to be able to actually go in and, and move some of those blocks. Is that something that, does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You nailed it right away because training is a stressor, right? So when you work out, you're stressing your body and it's a good stress up to a point unless you overtrain and do too much, which most people do. So you're stressing your body. And when you, when you train, what are you breaking down? Cells. I purposely destroy cells, right? That's why it hurts when I do a bicep curl and I'm screaming. I'm destroying cells. And then you want that. But then you become a monster and you become resilient when you rest and recover and you are ability to heal and make what? New ones, right? Make new cells. So that's what growth is. So if you're already under a lot of stress and then I'm throwing more stress on you, I'm putting you into even more stress. I'm putting you into a more sympathetic, dominant, fight, flight, freeze, freak out mode. And that's the person who says, I feel worse when I train or I feel worse the next day or I'm always in pain or they go for a month and they quit because the nervous system makes them quit, not so much emotionally from weakness, but it's a safety response to say, I got to make you quit this stuff because if you keep going, you're really going to mess yourself up. So think about it now. What happens if you're, already toxic and you have a backed up lymphatic system and then you go in and you break things down and I release more toxins into the body. If you can't get rid of the ones that's there, it's not likely that you're going to get rid of the new ones on top of it. 
So you can actually make yourself in the long run a little bit worse, a little bit more inflamed. Not always, because you want to start to move, you want to start to do some things. But also, whenever you train, you create tension in the body. And we know that excess tension in tissue restricts blood flow. Excess tension in tissue restricts fluid flow. So when you're under stress a lot, you're in a high state of tension, and then it decreases fluid flow. So you're already making yourself stagnant, even though that you're moving. So you know that as an example is if I take a fist and I squeeze my fist and I start to create a lot of tension, my knuckles get white, right? Because I'm restricting blood flow that way. And whenever you break yourself down, you're creating momentary instances of inflammation. So inflammation is not bad and stress is not bad. It's only incessant stress that's bad, which means you don't give yourself a chance to recover, hence overtraining, right? Or what's going in the world today with the pandemic and the stress of not knowing what the hell is going to happen in your life. And inflammation is not bad. It's only incessant inflammation that's bad, never-ending inflammation. That's called chronic disease and autoimmune disease. So you need inflammation, and then your body recovers, and your immune system comes in, and then it gets rid of inflammation, and then more resilient, right? And more resilient. Because the way you get a stronger immune system is to have stuff attack you, and then you suffer through it, and then I come out the other end, and I'm better. Same with training. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. It's not from right? dousing your body in hand sanitizer all the time? Yeah, no. No, what? not that. I mean, that's... It doesn't make sense. Jerk theory. Come on. <laughs> right. I'm just joking. So you actually, you know, if you try to remove yourself from any stressor whatsoever, even in weight training, you know, like that, you're going to get weaker because you need obstacles in your life and you need, you need somebody coming at you pretty hard to make you more resilient. The immune system's the same way. If I lock you in a bubble and then you're safe, but once you come out of the bubble and you go back into the world, somebody's going to get you, right? Yeah. Your potential for something to be a hermetic stress or like a you stress, a positive stress, at least toward development, is dependent upon how well-resourced you are. So if your battery is full, then a you stress for me, if I have a full battery, would be different than you know something that could be distressed for somebody else if their battery is like already at low. And so there's no one individual... Per one size fits all thing. It's like, where are you at? And then if you are in a place where you are well-resourced, then it's like, okay, let's, let's increase the load of germs or bacteria or deadlift, you know, plates in the bar, whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. So it's got that sliding scale of, of where you are, right. All the different types of stress. I mean, some of the biggest stressors in your entire life is just your own perception of self. Yeah. And your right. own perception of the world, right? That's why I always tell people, if you don't love yourself, you're never going to get well. Yeah. I say it all the time. That's, so we're, we're, when we drove back from whatever that was like the Mayo tape conference thing or something like that, like three years ago, four years ago, we were, we were talking about a lot of the, the whole like psychosomatic, emotional business. And one of the things you just mentioned that was interesting is the, you know, that, that chronic contraction that you have, that you may have any, it might be somewhere in your abdomen or your pelvic floor or your, you know, or your, your jaw or any of these places. Um, as you're doing the little 
palm getting white from squeezing out all the blood that reminds me of um i'm sure you're familiar with john sarno's stuff the the my whatever it's what's whatever yeah, it's tms tension yeah. tension tension my yeah tension myositis syndrome and, and that's what he describes within that is with it there is if you have some form of chronic pain in your body it's likely from his perspective if he says some crazy number like 99 percent of it uh would be attributed to some type of psycho-emotional deeply held contraction that essentially is keeping you in a in an anaerobic state within that tissue and it's causing you to have some type of pain which i think is very contentious a very contentious idea but i think it's it's interesting to examine that well i think when you understand the human physiology it makes complete sense it's only contentious if you don't know anything about the body so uh because tension myoneural syndrome you increase tension which decreases fluid flow and he's talking about blood flow and that is hypoxia and cells need oxygen and it's it's small little increments over decades that gets you that's the person who wakes up today is great and tomorrow where the hell did this pain come from it just it hits a breaking point that you get and then when you study trauma right and it doesn't have to be a severe trauma, like, you know, getting hit by a car or something. It's the trauma of a pandemic. It's the trauma of losing your job. It's the trauma of knowing where your next meal is going to come from, right? It, it's everyday traumas. And when they study trauma, trauma is held as tension in the body. It's held as tension in the body. And it can hold it anywhere at once, anywhere at once. And it's usually in something in this front midline area. Most of the time, it's going to be held from your throat to your pubic bone in the front. The reason being is because that's the fetal position. That's the curl-up position when you're under threat. You flex forward, right? And if you ever look at postures and the way people are when they're depressed, when they're beaten down, when life is coming at them, they don't open up into extension and extend their neck and look to the sky and open up their arms like that way. They're curled forward, right? They look like this human cashew nut kind of curling in on itself because that's safety and stability. So you hold that tension there because the body knows from a primal standpoint, dude, the last thing I'm going to let you do is stand up and extend your arms and open up your midsection because somebody's going to kill you really fast because that's a vulnerable position. So you curl forward. And when you curl forward this way, where do you cut off blood flow? Right smack dab in the middle of your abdomen in this huge thing called your abdominal aorta, which is, delivers the blood flow everywhere else. And it just so happens to be where the largest lymph node in your body sits right in the center between your belly button and the bottom of your sternum, like I said there before. That's where it gets congested. So you backflow lymph fluid all the way down into your legs below the belly button. You backflow fluid at the top because you create a pressure dam that it can't go up with. And then I'm decreasing blood flow to everything in the body. And then when you study Eastern medicine, you'll see that that is your, your, uh, yin, your yin and yang point, your fixed point of emotion. They call that emotional center in Eastern medicine. That's where you'll push everything down and you'll hold it there. From a Western medicine perspective, that is the center fascial connection point. If I draw a line from your right shoulder to your left hip and your left shoulder to your right hip, they're going to bifurcate right there. And that's where you do most of your rotational power. And that rotation is where you have physical power. So when I press in that region, 
I'm going through every system. It's going to be skin. It's going to be fascia. It's going to be your lymphatics, vascular flow, blood flow, venous flow, organs. Everything sits right there. But here's the thing I want people to understand. Very rarely will you feel physical pain there. You're going to feel it everywhere else, right? I can't, very few times does somebody say, Doc, I got to kill you. My, I'm getting a lot of pain right here in the middle of my abdomen or around my sternum. These, you don't ever feel pain there. They say, I've got it in my hip. I got it in my knee. Got it in my elbow. Got it in my ankle. Got it in my wrist. Got it in my neck. Got it in my back. Got it in my shoulder blades. And I'm like, that's where everybody is treating. And you should. But then that's when I'm going to lie you down on the table and say, I know that the human body will do anything and everything to protect the space between your pubic bone and your sternum at all costs. It will sacrifice your arms and your legs and your back and your neck any day of the week to protect the real estate that sits right there. So you won't feel it here because you've sacrificed everything else then what I'm going to do is I'm going to lie you on the table. I'm going to stick my fingers right in there. And then what I'm going to look for is your reaction. 99.9% of the time, you hate it. It hurts. You're very surprised that it hurts. Or they have a neurological withdrawal, which means that I see physically in their eyes, in their breath, in their body movements, that their nervous system does not like me going anywhere near that region. When I see that, it tells me one thing, massive vulnerability. And the body will do anything to protect that vulnerability. So that's why I tell people, the number one cause in my experience of chronic low back pain that doesn't get well has nothing whatsoever to do with your back. It has to do with your front. Mm-hmm. And then when you understand anatomy, you realize that the nerves that go down your leg and into your back actually come from the front anyway, not from the back. Yeah. So that's the key, right? So th- that's how I want people to under stand that. And then when you understand that psychology and physiology, physiology cannot be separated, it is impossible. So how you think will get this stress response, how you think with your perception can increase your tissue tightness in the body. So there's always a mental aspect to chronic pain. There's always an emotional aspect to chronic pain. There's always a placebo effect to chronic pain. There's always a nocebo effect to chronic pain. Placebo means you think you feel better, you feel better. That works. Nocebo is you think you feel worse, you feel worse. They're both applicable. You can make yourself think one, you can make yourself other. And I think most people actually think themselves worse way more than they ever think themselves better. So you have to take all that into consideration. So my goal is to start with the lymph, but have people realize that all these systems interrelate to each other and that many things that show up that you're treating are a downstream problem, which, you know, Sturette talks about upstream, downstream a lot, right? So that's what I want you guys to understand is that you may be addressing a problem that's 10 steps removed from what was the actual catalyst for that type of issue. So when you come into my office, I have a chart up here. There's a hierarchy of one through nine things 
that I look at that interrelate to each other. And the things near the top are more important than the things near the bottom. That's called a hierarchy. And number one, I've got up here, it says brain, number one. And then right next to brain, in quotes, it says TMS, tension Syndrome. That's stress, physical and emotional stress, because we know that physical and emotional stress right, is one of the biggest causes of issues with health and the body. And then that's all based on what? Perception of the brain. Yeah. So I talk about TMS all the time because I really believe that it's a fundamental issue because I'm also, when I talk about lymph, I talk about blood flow even more. So because we now that lymph and blood always go together. So if you have a vascular problem, you have a lymph problem. You have a lymph problem, you have a vascular problem. You cannot have one without the other. It's physiologically impossible. And if you have a vascular problem, you will end up having a nerve problem because nerves need glucose and oxygen to function. If they don't get glucose and oxygen to function, then nerves start to die. And when nerves start to die, they become hyperexcited. That means you feel pain more, right? So you're never going to be able to get over a nerve issue in the long run if you don't address vascular flow and lymphatic flow at the same time that you're trying to adjust nerve flow. So once again, I'm back to what kind of system is I, am I dealing with when I have a chronic injury? All of them. Yeah. I wonder uh, when, when you say the, the, the brain being the top of the hierarchy, I, my head immediately goes to like defining the brain. You know, is the brain this organ within a vacuum inside the skull? Is the brain a continuation with the skin, considering they come from the same dermal layer, the ectoderm? Um, is the, the enteric nervous system, the, the guts and such, you know, with all of their, their neurons and such, is that a continuation of the brain? Like, what's the, what's the boundaries of brain in your perception? I don't think there is one. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, see, what we do in Western medicine is that we, we break things down into parts, right? Because that's how we try to understand things. We take, we take this complex system, and then in order to understand it, we take all these different things and we break them down even to the individual cell level. And I'm like, that's cool, but it's really not going to help you in the long run with chronic disease because you understand that when you take all these parts and you put them back together, the system completely changes because the parts have to interact with each other. Mm. So the human system is a complex system, not a complicated system. Yeah. Complex systems are, are actually, right. they have a, a way that when you understand the system, you can figure it out. So I tell people, I want you to think like an engineer because an engineer understands that it's not the parts, it's the interaction of the parts. So one cell that I isolate in a Petri dish doesn't matter to me because I know if I stick that sucker back in a person, it's going to function differently. Pus yeah. is going to function differently if I stick it in person A compared to person B because it's not the cell that determines what happens. It's the environment that determines what happens. That's called epigenetics. That means it's not the genetics that will determine your fate. It's the environment. They will play a role, but they're not the determining factor because you can take people out of different environments and change the genetic code all the time. So 
I want for people to break things down, but then realize I want you to start to look at interactions with each other. That's why I make a one through nine system because I need to see how this system works with that system. And then this, because it completely changes the stuff that you're doing. And when you realize this, I always use an example because I study embryology a lot and embryology is studying the human development, right? From sperm and egg get together and then make something new. And I always say, look at the size of me now and how big I am and how all these parts are really spread out. Well, all that stuff used to be located in a pinhead, this big. And then everything that is small got bigger. Everything that is close together became further apart, but they still talk to each other. So you cannot separate things. So when somebody says to me, doc, I think you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about of how your left pinky toe can cause me to have neck pain on my right side. I'm like, go back and look at embryology. And then you come back to me again, because I know that everything interacts with each other. And one of my favorite phrases that I use all the time is the human body is under no obligation whatsoever to make sense to you which means that it's going to keep doing what it's doing and it could care less whether Perry understands it or not, or whether Perry agrees with it or not. And when you understand that the human body has one goal, do we know what that goal is? I don't know. Procreation, drinking beer. Yeah, that's top. That's probably two <laughs> <laughs> healing healing itself maybe i don't know well that's part of it it's don't die oh sure okay well i I want i want you to survive today because if you don't survive today you can't have that beer and you can't procreate so let's not die today so that's its goal and it will use any strategy it freaking wants not to die Mm. that's called adaptation right and so when you understand that that's the underlying goal It'll use a lot of different strategies. It'll be different for you than it is for me because the brain takes its strategies based on your life history and your perceptions of your past and the perceptions of the moment that you're in, right? That's why you can't treat two patients the same with the same protocol. Let me scratch that. You can treat them the same with the same protocol, but you're going to get, you probably get two different outcomes. And then you're like, I don't understand what happened with the protocol. And I'm like, because you're not supposed to treat the protocol. You're supposed to treat the person that's in front of you with that body part. So when, like you said before, from embryology, we know that the skin, the brain, and the gut, the enteric nervous system, they all come from the same neurodevelopmental tissue called your ectoderm. Your ectoderm is one of the primary layers with mesoderm and endoderm. So your skin, your brain, and your gut develop from the same tissue, which means they have an intimate relationship with each other, even more so than with the parts of the endoderm and the mesoderm. So they'll all talk to each other. But those guys grew up like brothers and sisters, which means they're super close. That means that if I stimulate your skin, I'm going to stimulate the ever-living hell out of your brain. If I stimulate your gut, I'm going to stimulate your brain. And we also know that the gut is called your second brain. In my opinion, it's called your first brain. So the gut and the brain go together. And they're actually seeing now that neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and all these diseases of the brain start long before in the gut first, years before in the gut. But I can also relate to this and say, if you have a skin issue, 
there's a lot of issues on your skin. That gives me an idea of the health of your gut because we know the gut and the skin talk to each other, but it'll also tell me the health of your brain because it goes both ways. And what they know from lymphatics is the lymphatics, you've got over 700 lymph nodes in your body. One third of that number is from the neck up. So a majority of the lymph nodes are from the neck up into your brain. So lymph is a big determining factor of brain health, right? And then the other two places where you have the most lymph are your is your skin. And the third place where you have the most lymph is the gut. Yeah. Those areas are big, big players with your immune system. And when you look at the research and science, you see now, holy cow, they discovered that, you know what? We were wrong. There actually is lymph in the brain. How in the world? We didn't know that. Now that we know that there's lymphatics in the brain and then the gut. So it's all starting to come together when you look at the bigger picture. So I study Eastern medicine a lot and Western medicine because we're all saying the same things. We're just using different words when we talk about it and they each play a role, but I think the roles should always be together. And what I like about their approach is they have a really unique way of looking at the the whole uh, holistic approach to the body. And I just want to take that and transfer that into the, uh, the Western medicine yeah, that's really important. Yeah, and it's with the whole lymphatic system in the brain that it's called the lymphatic system, as you already know. And when that comes online and is able to function and move all the amyloid beta plaques and all the things, is when you're sleeping. So again, it kind of comes back to the previous point of if you can go into that more restorative passive rest state, then it allows the spaciousness to open up the channels within, and it's you know very you know, directly related in the, in the, you know, the, as you're sleeping, but something that was interesting was thinking of like, if you ask different cultures where, uh, I is like, where am I, you know, and it's like, what what is it? What is it? What is you, you, some cultures like Western culture might be more inclined to point like between your, your temples, like it's kind of like in my head, some cultures might be like, Oh, I'm in like more my, my belly, Lahara, you know, the Dan Tien, maybe I'm, I'm in my heart, you know? And I think that, none of them is any more right or wrong than the other. Uh, ideally, it's like, I think, Earth, humanity, the universe, whatever, it's all one continuous unit. Like your brain, I would say, extends beyond your ectoderm and your skin. I would say your brain is the room that you're standing in. I would say that your brain is the relationships that you're in. Your brain is your country and you know, so on and so forth. And so I think that if we can come together with that, those Eastern perspectives who are like, they might be a little bit more like Dan Tien Hara, you know, abdominal emotions living within there. And then also say, okay, well, there's also this, this musculoskeletal mechanical conversation that can be had, you know? And so we say, okay, let's pop over to the United States or maybe Germany. We'll have more of like this engineering type conversation and we'll go out into the periphery and look at the knees and the ankles and all that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, I think that's, that's really where it's at is, is how do we start to integrate all of those concepts so we have a, a, more, a more whole picture. Does that sound like some crazy shit? No, it sounds like the world I'd like to be living in. Yeah. And it, it, that, that's what I'm trying to, we always hear this term bridge the gap, right? Yeah. And, and I'm really trying to do that with the teachings that I have, of, you know, my program to, to show people that 
you got the Eastern approach and you got the Messenger Western approach. They're saying the same thing. They're just using different words to describe it, right? So when, when, for instance, when they talk about chi in um, Eastern medicine, that's about energy, right? But the chi is a combination of these the channels in the body of lymph and and blood flow, and so that's in Western medicine. That's vascular flow, right? Yeah. So those so are those chakras. Energies. Chakras are, are places of complexity in the body where there's there's you know lots of nerve ganglia and blood vessels and arteries and all that stuff. So it's like oh chakra, you mean concentration of of stuff? Oh okay, cool, yeah. great. Western talk, perfect. I got yeah. it. I just like, I just think that the verbiage in Eastern medicine is way cooler. Yeah, I mean, it's, more, I it's, it. more, it's more poetic. <laughs> yeah. I would like to talk about your heart chakra as opposed to your sternum fascia from right. your back right. to back <laughs> and your anterior fascia line. I'm like, you mean my heart chakra, right? Like, yeah, yeah that's what I mean. It's a, and plus, you, then behind that, you've got your actual heart sitting there. Yeah. And then you actually have the lumbatic called thoracic trunk that goes up towards your neck. So it's all there, right? And it's just, it's all about energy in general. So that what I'm trying to do when I work with people is just to have them see the big picture. Because when I explain it to them and I show them like that, or I break down the lymph, they go, that makes total sense. And then one of the things when I start to treat people with these techniques is that they usually say, that's it? That's all I got to do? Like, that's all there is to it? They say, it can't be that simple. I'm like, who the hell says? Like, it doesn't have to be complicated to work. And sometimes they dismiss the work because it seems too easy. Because then they think, if it was that easy, why didn't somebody tell me that before? And I'm like, well, that's probably because they're overcomplicating something. And when you get the basics and the fundamentals, it will influence how well everything else happens to that. In my world, I've been able to be blessed, honestly. One, by being really sick and getting my ass kicked and almost dying because it forces me to take a look at things in a different way, how to use a different lens because the lens I was working with wasn't working. But I also ended up attracting that kind of client to my office. Very difficult, chronic, hard to fix conditions for people that have been to a lot of other things first that help a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. When you go to physical therapy or massage or chiropractic or PT or medicine, they help people. They're wonderful modalities and people do it because they love it and they want to help other humans. But sometimes it doesn't. And then you need to step back and think, well, is it because the person is really broken and something can't be fixed or is it a different way of looking at the body? So then that's when you're also open to things that are a little bit outside your comfort zone or the norm. So when people come in to see me, I have the luxury in a way of knowing that they've had a lot of blood tests done. They've had a lot of MRIs done. They have x-rays done. So I know that your back pain isn't there because you have a tumor. So once I know that, then I can explore a lot of other different things because I'm going to say to myself, the last thing I'm going to do is what everybody else did because if it's what you needed, you wouldn't be standing in front of me. That's just logic, right? So then I'm going to explore these things that look crazy from the outside, but I've been able to take that complex systems theory and be able to trace that back. And usually it's by addressing something that seems completely unrelated to their current complaint. And, but it's not unrelated. It's just nobody's really paid attention to it because they didn't think it was relevant. 
But it's highly relevant when you understand about how the body does a lot of different things to try to protect itself. Most of it is driven subconsciously without you realizing it. So one of the key phrases that I tell people is this, is that I'm interested in the pain that, that you don't know that you have to help the pain that is not leaving you alone. And the classic example of that is what I mentioned before. When you come on in, you know your back hurts, right? Or you know your shoulder hurts. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look on your body for an area that hurts, that's usually freaking excruciating. You just had no idea that it hurts until somebody sticks their finger in there. And most of the time, it's your abdomen, and that's going to be the one. But it's not necessarily the physical pain. There may be an emotional pain that you don't know about or your body is not ready to let you know about that we need to address. And here's the wonderful thing. Usually when I go near the abdomen, that gives you the emotional release just doing that because that's where you hold it. That's where you hold it. There's certain key areas of the body where people will begin to store protection and safety and the survival response or what we call the trauma response that they're really not aware of that's there. And sometimes it can be from something that happened decades prior when they were five or six or seven and they've completely forgotten about it and they don't even think twice about it because what the hell was falling off your sling and cracking my skull on the ground at five have to do with my chronic mid-back pain. And I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to tell you it's got everything to do with it, right? And then I'm just going to peel that onion, right? Because it depends on how much it's going to have involved with that. Because listen, man, I, I come from a world where people come into me and they tell me all the time. Because the same thing happened to me. Where they get the blood work done and they can't find anything. It's normal. I get the testing done. They can't find anything. And then medicine will say, from their standards, there's nothing wrong. And then you might get the proverbial, it's all in your head. And I'm like, well, that's actually right. Because we know that pain is, is an output signal from the brain based on the input signal coming into it after it does the input puts the story together of the input, then it gives you the output. So they got that part right, right? Um, and that, that's the emotional component to it. But then I need to step back and, and look at that puzzle piece that I told you of, if I have somebody that walks in to see me who has got normal blood work, and then I press on all of your lymph node channels, or I check uh, your abdomen, and it's really painful. Or I, I check pulse points. So I do a lot of vascular work. I need to make sure that the pulse and the left side of your groin matches the pulse and the right side of your groin. Better match. And if I get, they don't match. Or I get the withdrawal response from the limb or the withdrawal response from the abdomen. I don't give a shit what your blood work says. I know that the system is under duress. It just hasn't shown up to a level of dysfunction yet to make a difference in the blood work 
which is arbitrary anyway. It's usually just numbers that they put together based on a spectrum of what the average person has. But it doesn't mean that you're going to land in that spectrum or if you're in this zone that if you're a three, you shouldn't be a seven, even though you're in the same zone. So there's a lot of different things that need to go into that. Uh, So it's great for me that I've been able to discover these things because I've had the opportunity to go down that as well. But I also want you to keep in mind this. You have to have a context for the work that I'm doing. And I'll tell people, listen, if you're in an accident and your arm is hanging off, you're not going to come see me for lymphatic work. Okay. I want you to go to the hospital, get your arm put back on, make sure they save your life, give you all the drugs. And then after your arm's back on, that's when you come in to see me. Because I'm going to make sure that you get the sensation back around the scar. You're going to get the blood flow and vascularization back into that region. And we're going to have to deal with the residual psychological trauma that's invariably there that will manifest itself at some point in time. So the point I'm trying to make is that every single person in healthcare has a role. I just want them to work with each other. I want them to respect each other and realize that no matter what it is for you, it's going to help someone. But one thing is not going to fix everything, right? Limp's going to be pretty damn close, I'll tell you. But it's, it's also realizing that we're all going for the same goal, which is to try to make life a little bit better for another human being with a little less pain and a little less suffering. Yeah. I, I wonder with you, the, you went through somewhat of like a, would you call it a nervous breakdown? That's, yeah. Is that is that is that the right right term? I would say that. Yeah. What do you attribute that to? And there was there was I was ta- I I mentioned to you before I was done a, a a conversation with with Kelly Starrett uh, just like a few days ago, and he mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Charles Perro, and uh, I think his book's called Normal Accidents, and essentially how there's like, there's no such thing as just a, a random. Oh my God, it just happened. It's like it's something that you've slowly been building this equation for this this perfect expression to come out you know so i wonder if that makes sense to you if you if you align with that and then and also if that is were the case um you know was there any kind of like tangible kind of granular takeaways from that like what put you into that place what did you learn from it and then what brought you out of it that's a great question well uh, it was a slow process for me like everything, it's a proverbial analogy of, you know, you put the, put the frog in the water and you slowly heat it up and it'll boil to death as opposed yeah. to, I don't know if that's true or not, but I like the analogy. Yeah. Um, but you just get acclimated to not feeling great or, you know, life sucks or you have pain and you're whatever. It's just, well, that's the way it is. And everybody's got it. I'm like, how about no? Um, but, you know, most of my, uh, over the course of, 10 years, I was just slowly beginning to develop tiredness, fatigue, lethargy. You know, I'm getting older. I'm 53 right now, and I feel better than I have when I was 23, honestly. Yeah. But I just figured, well, I'm just working hard, and I'm, it's just the way it's supposed to go. And then I, my body just started to give me subtle signs. And like anybody else, I just would shut down the signs. Um, first of all, by trying to improve my health, I've always been into fitness and working out and diet and nutrition. But unfortunately, that wasn't enough anymore. I crossed this barrier of no return in a way. And um, then I started to develop for me, you know, a lot of underlying inflammatory infections in the body. 
um, of sinus infections, throat infections, urinary tract infections, prostate infections, gut infections. I'm like, what the hell is going on, right? First of all, it should have an infection. That's an immune system issue. And then uh, traditional approach is your antibiotics and your medication because I don't want you to suffer. And, and I didn't want to suffer either. And then I would feel better, but then I would start to feel a little bit worse. Then it kept coming. Just like the body says is, hey, nice try there, Sparky. But I'm going to keep coming back. And this time I'm going to hit you a little bit harder. So maybe it'll change something up. Because my definition of pain is pain is a request for change. And then it just got to a point where um, I was breaking down. And I actually started to lose hope because I couldn't find any answers. And I was not getting any answers. And I'm in this industry. I mean, I do this for a living and I was lost. And I felt like nobody was listening to me and I felt hopeless and I had to go through multiple surgeries and more medications. And then my body, my brain got affected. I mean, I could deal with physical pain, honestly, but when I started to lose my brain, my capacity to think, my capacity to remember, I would be forgetting things. And I was headlong into such a degenerative disorder in my brain with inflammation that I was headed towards Alzheimer's where I could actually physically not remember my kids' names sometimes, wow. which, scared, which scared the bejesus out of me. Wow. And uh, I, I had a breakdown. And I'm very, I share my story because I want people to realize that you can get through it. Um, I, I got to a point for me where I actually made a physical call to a suicide hotline because I was to that point where I felt like everybody would be better off. I wasn't here. And I talked to the person and then, you know, I hung up with them uh, sooner than they wanted me to hang up. Let me put it that way. And then I drove home. I was actually coming back from teaching a workshop (laughs) and I pulled in home 30 minutes later, a police car pulls into my driveway because they're obligated to notify authorities if they think somebody's uh, imminent danger of harming themselves. They knock on the door, and then my wife and my kids, you know, that's when they discovered that I did that. And then that was the big, that was the big wake-up call for me because I realized that uh, I couldn't do this alone, right? And then I knew that I had to search for answers that, were nowhere near my current thought process. That was the catalyst for starting to look at the systems, the interactions, energy of the body. So I started to look at energy medicine and not just the kind of the people think it's like the frou-frou type. I'm talking about, uh, you know, because I don't believe anything is frou-frou like that when you understand quantum physics of the body. But the uh, What does the cell need to heal? What does it need to recover? How does the body really work? And then that led me to study all sorts of things outside, anything I'd ever contemplated learning. And the universe brought me to um, a workshop in the UK where uh, people had followed my work at the time. I stopped chasing pain and they expected to be some big, healthy person, nice guy. And I welcomed there and they memorized me, doctor, no offense, but you look awful. (laughs) I know. And I always had this issue where I uh, had a lot of inflammation. So I would snip all the time, like every five seconds. I was clearing my throat every three seconds. And I had a lot of mucus 
And it ends up being that was a lymphatic system issue called mucus-associated lymphoid tissue bulk. And uh, so people thought I was on a cocaine or something because I looked awful and I was sniffing all the time. And uh, then the guy said to me, I think I know what your issue is. And they brought me up and they pressed on the lymph nodes in my body. And they said it was really super painful. And they said, I think you have a lymphatic system problem. I go, lymph what? (laughs) I I didn't even think twice about it, right? And uh, just from the assessment in and of itself, with the lymphatics, I felt awful the next day because I went through a bad detox. But the following day, I woke up and I said, holy cow, I think I feel better, man. Like I was 30% better Mm. just from that. And I said, this has got to be something. And then I I firmly believe that the universe led me where it needed to go to begin to get the lymph. And when I started to feel better, I was dedicated. I was like a maniac with wanting to learn anything about it. And I knew that I wanted to teach other humans because if I didn't know about it, I'm in this industry. I can't expect an everyday person to not know about it. And then what scared the hell out of me is most people in medicine knew about it, but they didn't think twice about it. They didn't think it was that relevant. It's come a long way in the last three or four years compared to where it has been because they're finally figuring out that there's a lot to do with the lymphatic system. I call the lymph the new fascia, which means that nobody thought twice about fascia at one point. Now everything's a fascial issue. I think the lymphatics are going to be the same way. But for me, my I had a mental breakdown for me. And a lot of that, honestly, was because of the incessant chronic inflammation in the body that settled into my nervous system and into my brain and into my glymphatics. So I was surfing in toxicity with that, which began to affect how my brain perceived sensory input in the environment and how it was able to wire itself together and affect the hormones of the body. So I was, um, when I started to get my limp and get these and get my energy systems up in general, a lot of other things in my life began to improve from the mental aspect to the brain aspect, to the pain aspect. And of course the weight aspect, you'll, you, you usually lose a pretty good amount of weight when you get the lymphatic systems under control because it helps clear toxins and fat surrounds toxins for protection. And so it was a really nice way to show me how emotion uh, plays in with chronic pain. And then I started to think deeper is that when I was, let's see, I'm 53 now, I'd say 12, 19, 18 years ago, 18 years ago, I had cancer. I had thyroid cancer. So they removed my entire thyroid gland because it was malignant. I had a goiter. It spread to lymph nodes in my neck. And they had to remove a lot of lymph nodes in my neck as well. And now that I think back on it, that is where the the underlying inflammation started to manifest itself. It just manifested itself as cancer at the time. And now knowing how the body has on timeline, I probably had underlying inflammation for 10 or 20 years prior to the cancer developing. But once they took the cancer out and the lymph nodes out and gave me my chemo, I just went back to the same old same, right? And I was that. So the inflammation was still there. It just manifested itself years later with that autoimmune disease 
and with that mental breakdown in there. So, you know, the universe sends you a lot of suffering to teach you a lot of lessons when you can step back and look at it from that perspective. So uh, it sucked to go through it. I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm grateful that I did because it never, ever would have forced me to look at things the way that I do. And that's why I'm never ending with trying to teach it and share it because I know that there's somebody else, somebody else out there who's probably where I was. And it also doesn't deter me from people who just don't get it or are not in a place yet where they're ready to see it. I just focus on those people that are there and that are looking for it. And I know that this stuff helps and that's what keeps me going. I appreciate you sharing all that, man. Um, I, the last thing that's kind of coming up as you're saying that is it seems like this isn't my idea, but um, which nor is almost anything that I've ever said on here, my idea, but the uh, <laughs> Ill, illness <laughs> and uh, the expression of like viruses, for example, um, of all sorts, maybe like, like, like herpes or a cold sore or something, something of that sort, um, or just getting a cold or maybe getting depressed, maybe emoting, crying, maybe calling a, you know, a suicide hotline. Um, if I think culturally, the belief that I've been kind of somewhat indoctrinated with is that there's like these things out there and they come in and they attack you and it's like this war with this body and then the outside world and then sometimes something comes in and there's this battle but I think something that feels more uh, true is that it's like when you get sick or say that the cold sore thing you know expresses out it's not that the virus is a bad thing and I'm not talking about coronavirus but but um, I mean maybe perhaps I could be but I'm, I'm not um, but it's not that the virus is an enemy or a bad thing. Um, it's that your body is, it's, it's naturally going through its cycle of healing. And all of these things are, are, or, or, or symptoms are actually just natural, natural parts of that, that road to healing. And I think that if you can take that perception of some of these things that may be taking place that we seem like it's, it's so disastrous, if we can kind of take more of like, you know, like a love type perception of like welcoming. It's like, oh, this thing that's happening. It's like my body's doing its best to heal. And these symptoms are exactly that. I'm, I'm in the road to healing. I feel like perhaps just that perspective can kind of create more space to actually to heal. I don't think I, I pieced that together really perfectly, but do you know what I'm saying? No, you did great. I know exactly what you mean. And that's also one of the things that I've learned over the years of how words and um, phrases and thoughts are powerful and, and words and thoughts change physiology. So I'm very careful of the words that I choose when I'm trying to teach someone something, or if I'm trying to talk to them about stuff that I'm finding that uh, on them and their evaluation or the thoughts that I have about something there's, there's something I learned from Thomas Myers, the creator of the anatomy train that really was valuable for me and stood out with me. And then, you know, when you do an examination, you got this list of all the different things that quote unquote are wrong, which means I hate that word wrong because it's not wrong. It's just what your body's doing to try to protect you. Everything is a protective response, not a punishment response. Yeah. 
So pain, pain is, is a protective response, teaching response. He said, always go over three things that were awesome with that person before you get into anything else that needs to be fixed. And I said, that's really powerful because most of the time people get into the, but you got this, and like, oh, shit, you know, and then you know, so I'm going to do three, three things. It doesn't have to be big. It's a win. You check the win box. But that's also why I like Eastern medicine a lot because, compared to Western medicine. You use the word battle, kill, fight, sucks, cancer sucks, kill. You know, it's, it's this adversarial, I'm going to attack the body because the body's turning on you and it's a dis-ease and we need to kill it. And then Eastern medicine's on the other side talking about yin and yang and energy and harmony and relationships and emotions and organs and stuff like that. It's not frou-frou by any means. We're still trying to get you healthy, but I'm going to be honest with you, man. If I use that, if I use some of those words, they kick off perception. Words kick off perceptions. Words kick off emotions. And that even comes down to cultural experiences, past experiences, all sorts. So a word to you is not going to mean the same to me. Not to mention I can change my intonation of the word and completely change the meaning of the word. So what you... What you think and what you say is some of the most powerful juju, you know, yeah. magic, motion, uh, stuff, emotion stuff that you have to influence healing. So it's that another thing that I tell people is I really want you to choose wisely the people that you allow in your life, and including yourself. So uh, there was a guy who was a motivational speaker named Jim Rohn, who's an icon, R-O-H-N, who was kind of like the, the mentor of Anthony Robbins and almost everybody else. And he said a phrase once that really stuck with me. He said, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And then I changed that up and I said, why don't you make it four? Because you're always number one. You spend the most time with yourself. So you might want to be careful how you're talking to yourself. And then those other four people can be an influence on your self-talk. And take because responsibility I can, I can th- Take responsibility for those other four people that are in your life because you created them. And so once again, you yeah, come right, back exactly. into a place of empowerment of like, I'm responsible for all this stuff. I'm not a victim here. I'm tired of this victim shit. I did it. You, know, you come from yeah. there like, oh, you get a little bit taller all of a sudden you're like oh yeah like i'm responsible okay whereas i think a lot of people are are kind of they've been downloaded the software that if you're a victim you'll get free this or you'll get you know maybe some shelter you'll get some love or a pat on the back and so at some point in their life probably very young they learn that if i take on that victim role i don't want to come up above you know, I don't want to make this much money because I'm going to have to pay this much in taxes. So I'm going to keep myself under this certain threshold. I don't want to be right. this empowered as a human being or else I'm going to lose, you know, that victim card. So I go through my whole entire life until maybe I'm on my deathbed and I'm finally not a victim because I'm going to leave this body. But I never wanted to let go of that victim card because I, you know, I spoke myself into it or someone else spoke me into it. Yeah, that's, that's a really great observation. And I, I, learn from studying neuroscience and try to try to understand the brain from a perspective of pain, but also from a perspective of human behavior, right? Of of why we do what we do. And two things really stood out with me. If I have a moment to share them. Yeah. 
Um, one was that we talked about stress before, right? So chronic stress is the number one cause of chronic disease, right? It's a, a fundamental piece of chronic disease. And uh, I read from numerous sources that the, the number one stressor for the brain is not knowing, uncertainty, right? So a lot of people will keep themselves in toxic situations because it may be toxic, but at least they know Certain. what's going on because it, it's less scary than not knowing. And because the, ba- the brain is a predictive organ, it takes sensory input and information to predict what happens next. If it can't predict what happens next, it freaks out, man. And that's stress. And that's one of the reasons why with this pandemic and then this COVID, there's so much not knowing or lack of control where people are getting sicker from autoimmune diseases or pains or uh, depression, emotional disorders because of the uncertainty. And then the other one is the same person who's going to be on my podcast named Bo Lotto. And uh, he said, the brain doesn't think in terms of right and wrong. That's a human construct, okay, of right and wrong. The, the brain thinks in utility. So what does utility mean? Usefulness. It, it, it does whatever it thinks is useful in that moment to accomplish the goal that it has. And we already talked about what that is of not dying. It's not happiness. It doesn't care if you're happy. It just cares if you're not dead. So if you look at it of not right and wrong. So when you go back to that and you have this person who is staying in a toxic relationship and they're not leaving, you need to step back and take responsibility and say, what am I getting out of this thing? What's the utility of me staying here? It's not right or wrong because you need to take judgment out of it. You take judgment out of it. What's the utility of that? And I always, I also think about that from a physiological standpoint. Like, okay, I've got some Achilles, I got some plantar fasciitis here on the left hand side that won't go away. Then I have to think, okay, what's the utility of that for the brain? Yeah. What, what the hell is the reason? It, when you think about it like that, that flips the switch to a different way to remove that uh, judgment. So uncertainty and utility are two big drivers in the work that I do with people in relationship to trying to decrease their stress level and improve the quality of their life. Yeah. It's like the difference between fighting Muay Thai versus Judo. You know, so like Muay Thai might be a little bit more aggressive. You want to use all the eight points that you got and you want to cut and you know that. Whereas judo, you're taking the other person's violence and you're using that the energy of that kind of to 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 move them into another direction. Uh, you know, and so I think that we can kind of take that same judo approach with medicine, with our career, with our relationships or anything. And it it, it seems like just you can start to kind of judo yourself with with your words. It's a great starting point. You know, so I appreciate yeah, you. It's just the energy, right? It's, it's all about that energy, right? Yeah. That's what it is. That's the same with, same with Aikido. 
Yeah. Just like, Hey, I'm just going to move out and let you go this way. Right. <laughs> yeah, it. exactly. But, um, yeah, man. I had a, I had a blast. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Of course. Yeah. We got to do it again. I've been, I've been meaning to record a conversation with you for years. So I want to do it in person, but that's, that's okay. COVID the one benefit of COVID is it's made doing zoom calls more, more acceptable in my mind. So I end up reaching out to people that are across the country more often. So it's great. Uh, where should people yep. go from here? What's a good direction to point people that want to learn more? Thank you. Very well. Really easy to find if you just type in stop chasing pain cool. on any search engine, I'll show up. <laughs> um, so my website, stopchasingpain.com has links to all that we do. Uh, I spend most of my time uh, social media wise on Instagram, for sure. I'm a, I'm a little addicted to Instagram. I, yeah. I like to think in a healthy way, but you can get on there and we have courses and memberships and webinars and webcasts and videos. And there's a lot of different things for anybody who wants to, to go on there. And my people always ask, you know, who's your work designed for? It's very simple. Humans, all different types. Cool. You can learn something when you go in there and you can reach out to me on Instagram. I'll probably get back to you pretty fast as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your uh, your journey in this world and bringing all the details uh, to us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, if you yeah, make out to thank to you, this, man. I had a good time. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, I'm going to be out, and this isn't so relevant for other people, but I'm going to be out in in Pennsylvania. My dad is getting married next month, so I'll be out in that, oh. that general general area. So maybe I'll pop over to New Jersey. Yeah, that's not too far away. Although Pennsylvania is a massive state, <laughs> but yeah, I'm in Philadelphia yeah, area, Lancaster. So we're close to New Jersey. Oh yeah, that's not, that's not we're too neighbor. bad. We're, 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 we're neighbors. Close to that. Neighbor. Yep. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate. It. I'll stop the stop the recording now. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Dr. Perry is a wizard. If you'd like to learn more about him or you'd like to share some bits from this conversation, you could share it with he or I or your community or our communities on the Instagram. I am at Align Podcast and Dr. Perry is at Stop Chasing Pain. Share what you got with us. I'm sure that we'd love to reshare, especially if you share tidbits, if you share like little specific parts or quotes or videos of it. Um, those are always really nice. And there also is a video of this on the YouTube. All right, y'all. I think it is time for me to go to bed. Uh, and I uh, appreciate you guys tuning into this. Appreciate your support, telling your friends, telling your family, doing all the things. Reviews on iTunes so helpful. And uh, if you have interest in making your body function better, if you got a stiff neck or you got a tight back or any type of low back pain, perhaps, or rigid hips, all of those things are interrelated. And your movement in your daily life. Uh, is foundational to the functionality of your body. So we break down step-by-step step exactly what you need to know uh, to be able to take care of your body. You deserve to have physical autonomy over yourself. You weren't educated the principles on self-care practices, on functional movement practices. Uh, as kids, I think that is absolutely insane. And that was the intention of creating the Align Method. So if you guys have interest in learning some of these fundamental principles, everything is easy, accessible, teachable. You could reteach it to your friends or clients or family, what have you, it's all in there and it's easy to follow, broken down to a six-week program. You can find it at alignpodcast.com. And also the link for it is in the bio on my Instagram page. So check that out. All right. Thank you guys 
so much. Hasta luego. I'll see you next week.